So I've had a dream job. Actually, I have the dream job, I should say. So if I had a second dream job, if I could say I was living the dream, it would be this. I would be a baseball radio announcer. I can't think of a better job next to this one that I could have than to be a baseball radio announcer. Not like the new ones they have. Now, I like the, t- like the uh, Marty Brennemans of Cincinnati Reds and the Vin Scullys of the Los Angeles Dodgers, the kind of guys that actually told you what was going on, that actually reminded you of how many strikes and balls and could describe the action in a way that made you feel like you were actually there. Because we all know baseball was meant to be listened on the radio. It was never meant to be watched on TV. Am I right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you very much. I at least got one amen from this Quaker crowd. So that would be my living the dream. If I could do that, I would be living the dream. Now, sometimes we say that. We go up to somebody and how's, how's your day going? And they say, I'm living the dream. And they really mean it. They're, they're doing what they want to do. They are where they are. And this is really that moment. Then sometimes you'll say to someone, how's it going? And they're involved in some kind of activity that they don't really want to be. And they kind of roll their eyes. Maybe they don't, but they just say, I'm living the dream. And you know, this is not exactly where they want to be. There's different kinds of dreams. There's daydreams, those dreams that distract you during the day. There are nightmares, the dreams that are not so good. And then there is the American dream. I may talk about that in a few moments, but there is that dream. But there's a completely different dream that we may not give much thought to. And it was in your thoughtful reflection, I kind of shared that with you to kind of set you up for this idea, but it's called the dream of God. Now that sounds completely off the wall maybe. What is the dream of God? How does God dream? Well, a simple definition of a dream is this. It's a vision. And maybe a vision of a preferred future, a kind of visual of what is on our mind. When you dream, you imagine what things could be. When I dream of being a baseball announcer, I literally imagine myself being in that booth and calling the game and writing down the scores and keeping track of all the stats. I can actually see what that looks like. And yes, I've probably given it more thought than I should have, but I have actually (laughs) seen what that looks like. That's what a dream does. It gives you that, that vision, that picture of what can be. It's the best possible world. And when we talk about the dream of God, when people write about the dream of God, what they are actually saying is, this is the best possible world God can imagine. And to talk about the dream of God is to talk about another phrase that we often see in the Bible, which is called the kingdom of God. And this is where language matters, because we probably don't use the word kingdom as much as they used it back then. It had a completely different meaning. There were kingdoms. There was the Roman kingdom, and there was kingdoms before that. And to to have a kingdom was to have a governance. It was to have someone who ruled and who reigned. So when you talk about the kingdom of God, you're talking about the area, the space, the place in which God rules and which God reigns. And of course, when they talked about the kingdom of God back then, it really was kind of in, 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 um, in opposition, if you will, kind of as an alternative to what they were talking about then. Jesus essentially saying, yes, we have the kingdom of Rome. You have the kingdom of Rome, but there is another kingdom that is present. There is another kingdom that is here. It is the kingdom of God. And in fact, I would say this, that really is the good news. The total good news, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Jesus comes from his baptism. He comes from where God has affirmed his ministry. And Jesus says, 
The kingdom of God is at hand. This is the good news. It is now. And then he says, repent, which is a word that has all sorts of meaning to it, but it essentially means to go a different direction, to rethink your life, to rethink the direction you're going in, and to go in a completely different way. So in a sense, the kingdom of God is this alternative way of living, and Jesus says this kingdom of God is at hand. Rethink the direction you're going, rethink your life, and go in a completely different direction. It is this dream of God. So when we think of the kingdom of God, we think of God's dream for the best possible world. We think of God's dream for the best possible reality that we could exist in. When we think of the kingdom of God, we think of the dream of God. And we th- when we think of what that looks like, we look at Jesus. Jesus was the best example of what that looks like. His teaching was the best example of what it means to live that way. And how he interacted with people and how he interacted in life was the best picture we have of what that looks like like. So it could be said that Jesus was living the dream. He literally was. He was living the dream of God. He was living in such a way that God says, do you want to see what I want this world to look like? Do you want to see what this world can be? Then look at him. Look at what Jesus does. Look at how Jesus lives. Look and listen to what Jesus teaches. This is exactly the kind of world I intended this world to be. Then he says, repent again, rethink your life, change direction, go in a different way. The first public sermon, if you will, that Jesus gave essentially referenced this dream of God. This is what Dan read out of Luke chapter 4, the vision of the world God intended. When Jesus started speaking, he was in this synagogue and he sits down and he's just come from Again, his baptism, and he's, he's come from the wilderness, and he enters the synagogue, and he's given this scroll. And the scroll is opened up to Isaiah. It didn't have chapters and verses back then, but it was open to Isaiah. And out of that scroll, Jesus began to read those words. And those words were taken directly from Isaiah 61. The Lord God's Spirit is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. And he has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for captives and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus describes this world in which there is healing, in which there is wholeness, in which there is freedom. There's no longer oppression for, or brokenness. It's a world in which those who are on the margins of life, the poor, the prisoners, the outcast, those who are wounded both physically and emotionally, there is good news for them. And then Jesus says this, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. When Jesus read this out of Isaiah, when he read this passage from the prophet Isaiah, and the prophets always were those who wrote down and preached about the world God intended. They were the dreamers of God. They were saying, this is the kind of world God imagines. And so in Isaiah... Isaiah says, he has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for the captives, liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is an interesting phrase, by the way. The year of the Lord's favor was really what is called the year of Jubilee. In Leviticus 25, the year of Jubilee was that every 50 years there would be this year in which the people who had been enslaved due to debt would be set free. Land would be returned to the original owners. People would return to their land and their families. And if you will, there was this restoration and things were made right and greed and oppression were reversed. 
So in a sense, what Jesus is saying to those gathered, he's saying this scripture is literally fulfilled in your hearing. It's in real time. It's right now. God's dream of this restored, renewed world in which everything is made right is happening right now. This dream is coming true in me. It's taking place. And it's going to happen. By the way, there's an interesting twist edit that Jesus makes in this passage. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can look at it later if you choose. But in Isaiah 61, it reads, He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for captives and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and a day of vindication or a day of vengeance for our God. If you turn to Jesus' sermon, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back. Jesus left a very important part out. The part in the Old Testament in Isaiah 61 where it says the day of vengeance of the Lord, Jesus completely leaves out. It's as if Jesus is saying this is a new day. This is a new world. And the dream of God is violence will no longer work. Vengeance will no longer work. Retribution will no longer work. It's as if Jesus is saying it ends here and it ends right now. In me. In what I teach. And how I live. God has a new understanding of what this world will be like. And it will be a world based on forgiveness. It will be a world based on reconciliation. It will be a world based on renewal. It will be a world based on restoring everything. And it will be a world in which we will be peacemakers. And no longer will we choose to use violence to make things right. God will make things right, but in a much different way. And that way is in me. Do you dream of of a better world? Do you dream of a different world? Well, look at Jesus. Look at what he has to say. Look at how he lives. He gives us this complete picture of what this world can look like. And I think sometimes the reason our lives feel so kind of out of sync, the reason sometimes our lives maybe feel kind of stuck with no engagement whatsoever, is we have disconnected our own life from that life. We don't dream anymore. We don't imagine what it could be. We don't look at what it can be. We don't think it can happen. And Jesus invites us into that. One church um, down in Atlanta, Georgia, called Edgewood Church, has this wonderful statement on their website. The dream of God was the driving force in Jesus' life. The stories of Jesus, the people he healed, and the things he did were all about the dream of God. In the Bible, the dream of God was called the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. Jesus shows us that God cares deeply about the pains and struggles of this world, and that the least of us is greatly loved and valued by God. And God wants to heal our hurts and anxieties, our selfishness and our greed, so that we can be who we were meant to be, joining God in healing the world around us. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. So what's this have to do with me? What's this have to do with us? Well, I think it's this. 
God invites us to live the dream as well. And it could be that the reason our lives seem so unfilled at times is because we've maybe chosen the wrong dream, or we've bought into the wrong dream. You know, one of the more fascinating histories to read is that of what's called the American dream. We've all heard that phrase before, the American dream. It actually really didn't come into existence until about 1950 as kind of a concept, as kind of an idea. And then once it sort of became uh, a talking point, if you will, once it became something that was a thing, then what happened was people who did all sorts of marketing and told you that you needed to experience the American dream had all sorts of stuff, like this bug, had all sorts of stuff to give you and sell to you and make you think that you needed in order to really experience the American dream. So when we talk about the American dream, again, we may think that it boils down to this. We start early age, we go to the right schools, we get a good degree, we maybe get a grad degree, we get the right job, we make significant amounts of money, we start a family, then we buy a house, and we keep moving up the ladder of success, and we have kids attend the right schools, and we've got to go up higher on the ladder because we've got to pay for all the stuff that we have. Because that's the American dream. And so we go to all the best places and then retire well, if not early. And we retire at the same standard of living you were experiencing before retirement. That's the American dream. Now, I've got to be careful here because Scott and Linda Wagner own a house. Scott and Linda Wagner have retirement accounts. At least we're getting there. Scott and Linda Wagner have a couple cars. We're part of that American dream. And I guess what I wrestle with and what I struggle with is, is that the sum total, though, of what all my dreams are about? Is that going to be the dream that ultimately shapes me and defines me? Or is there a greater, bigger dream that God offers us? And I think there is. And what I find is that dream constantly comes into conflict with this other dream. And I have to keep making choices, and I have to keep making decisions, and I have to keep asking myself, what is the greater, bigger dream that God has for my life and for this world, and how can I participate in it? And what do I need to let go of in order to be able to do that? And how do I need to change direction in my life in order to be part of that? You know, it could be said that we have bought in to the wrong dream. I saw this in Newsweek magazine a few months ago. It said that Americans today are experiencing stress and anxiousness and depression at an all-time high. 8.3 million folks experiencing some sort of distress. And maybe we have bought into that wrong dream and need to begin living into the right dream, the dream of God. You know, it's interesting, again, Matthew 6, if you go back to that Sermon on the Mount, it's famous words of Jesus. There's a whole ton of stuff there to read. But those famous words of Jesus, Jesus says what? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the dream of God. And all these other things will be added or given to you as well. In other words, if I focus on God's dream for the world, if I focus on partnering with that, on being part of that, God's going to provide everything else that I need. Now, I know that's a risky blanket answer because you're saying, all right, I've given myself to God's dream, but I have not received that part yet. Boy, I know that. That is a struggle. Some people have received other things like sickness, layoffs, no job, broken relationships. It's been part of your journey. It's been part of your pilgrimage up to now. 
I don't have answers for that at times. All I know is that sometimes in those moments, I've got to fall back on Jesus' words and just say, but trust. Trust his promise that he said, if you seek first his kingdom, all these other things will be provided. Talked about don't worry about what you wear. Don't worry about all that. You know, the birds, the birds, they, you know, they don't worry because God feeds them all. They just, they just know it's going to be there. They have to because we have a bird feeder. We forget to fill it up half the time, and so they can't rely on Linda and I. So. But yes, the birds just know it's going to be there. and They sing, and they fly around, and they do their thing, and that's what God says. That's what the kingdom is all about. Provide for what you need. I'm not always going to probably get what I want. So where do we come in? Trevor Hudson uh, is a Methodist uh, pastor. I've shared from him a few times. I, I love how he frames this. He writes this, As friends of Jesus, each of us is called to make God's dream our own. By doing this, we begin to look outward with Jesus. God invites us to work toward making God's dream a reality wherever we find ourselves. And in creating this world, God did not dream of lonely neighbors and broken relationships unchecked greed and desperate poverty, violent crime and environmental pollution, corruption and hatred. hatred. God calls us to live in tune with God's dream within these realities. And he writes about how we can do this with our neighbors, our family, our close friends, our literal neighborhoods, people at work, our daily work, seeing our work as a mission field. I love some churches where they'll actually put a sign as you're driving out of their driveway. Sometimes they put them at the door, but sometimes they'll put them as you're driving out the driveway. You'll have a sign facing you that says, entering the mission field. You and I, every day, go into this mission field where we're part of helping make God's dream a reality. Maybe even our broken community. You know, Dave shared this morning, Dave Smith, about this camping out for hunger. And one of the beautiful things about this and a lot of things that we've done here is it comes from this leading that he had. That's what God did with early friends and early Quakers. God provided leadings. You know, think of the imagery. You're being led some way forth with an idea, with with a dream, if you will. And as you follow that leading, you don't know where it's going to go, but you just know that as you follow it, it may develop into something and probably will develop into something. And those aren't the only leadings we have. That's just an example from this morning. We've had other things that Deep River Friends does and is part about, about helping make God's dream a reality in this world. When I thought about what living the dream looked like, though, I, I thought about these other areas as well. We're living the dream every time we offer forgiveness and reconciliation in a relationship. We're living the dream every time we seek to serve rather than be served. When we pay attention to the most vulnerable in our community and we take steps to help alleviate their needs. We're living the dream when we listen to people's stories so we can have this deeper empathy and understanding. We're living the dream when we offer presence to someone who is hurting and someone who is suffering. We're living the dream when we offer friendship to someone that feels lonely or excluded or we speak up on behalf of those who feel oppressed or discriminated. And we're living the dream when we simplify our lives so that others can simply live. That's always a wonderful Quaker phrase, and others have used it. How do I simplify my life so others can simply live? And we're living the dream when we bring joy and celebration to our life, especially in those places that often lack joy. When we do that, and even much smaller things, we are partnering with God and helping make God's dream a reality in this world. The kind of world that God intended. 
the kind in which our actions and our presence and, and our work and our service brings restoration and renewal, the kind where it doesn't seem like we're living this other dream that has no meaning, but our lives are then infused with purpose and meaning. When you and I partner with God to help make God's dream come true, I think our lives take on a whole different sense of meaning and purpose. What we do matters. What we do matters anyway, but it matters even more because we're helping recreate this world. I had a couple endings to this message, but I had a new one come my way this morning. And it came by way of a, of a blog. My friend um, Josh Brown, who is the pastor at Springfield Friends uh, in um, South High Point, now, used to pastor in West Richmond Friends and used to pastor in upstate New York. And he writes a blog. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this one came my way this morning. And I want to read the first part of it because I think it speaks kind of in an indirect way to this message. And I'll try to make that connection. This is what Josh writes. Years ago, I was hosting a fellow Quaker pastor from Kenya for a week. He was here in the, in the United States to study, and while he was on fall break, he wanted to visit a local meeting. So we drove around to see the sites in our area. This was in upstate New York. And we stopped at a very historic Quaker meeting house in the upper Hudson Valley. Well, the meeting house was closed, but we peered in the window and we walked around the cemetery, which dated back to the late 1700s. And my friend from Kenya was very impressed and he asked, how many members did the meeting have? And I told him, about 25. Well, he thought for a minute. And then he half-jokingly, half-serious said to me, you know what, this is the problem with Quakers here in the United States. Too many of your members are under the ground, and not enough of them are above the ground. <laughs> yeah, I heard that kind of groan in the laugh. Well, he says, we laughed, and we moved on. But then Josh writes, he had a real point. Quakers have a rich, fascinating, and prophetic past. But on the whole, we're not very actively involved with our future. We are the heirs and custodians of an enormous heritage of Quaker literature, buildings, spiritual struggle, and historic witness. But we are investing less and less in the needs and interests of the next generation, or even in the generation around us. I called him up on the phone about five till nine. I said, I don't know what you got planned for today, but what you just wrote was good stuff. Hard stuff to read, but good stuff. I think it goes to this point. How willing are we to partner with God in making God's dream a reality in this world? How willing are we to take the necessary risks as individuals and as a meeting to do that? To live the dream, if you will, the kingdom of God, and to do our part here, on this spot, in this part of High Point and beyond, to make God's dream a reality. How willing are we to do what we need to do, to paraphrase our friend from Africa, to make sure that we have more members above the ground than we do under the ground?